Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Link to the Cast, uh, your weekly dose of video game news and nerd culture ephemera. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, joined by the eager to speak platforming prodigy Mark Robinson. I just want to say we actually are weekly. Yeah. Like finally for the first yeah. time in... Touchwood. Touchwood. This is our third weekly show in a row. Oh my god. Yeah, who the thunk it? Well, we were pretty good at the week to ten days at the start. Sure. It was you going to China and me depending on Brian that ruined everything. Um, yeah, we're back. Uh, how was your week, Mark? Pretty low-key, to be honest. Like, You went on a little holiday. As did I. Oh, yeah, that happened then. <laughs> yeah, 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 we went to Manchester. Yeah, we, well, you know. Um, yeah, I suppose there More was... More like that. Ladchester, am uh, I right? All right. What? Uh, yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose we went to Old Trafford. First time I've ever been there. 20 yeah. years as a United fan. Finally, you know, went and visited. Doing the Holy Pilgrimage. Yeah, that was pretty what cool. Was, what was that like for you? Because my... I think overall it's about my sixth or seventh time in the building, and it's my third time doing the tour. I think so. Um, well, I mean, like it's not the first time I've been to a football ground before, and I, after being um, in the AT and T Stadium, like pretty much anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is... Well, it's it's more just that, like, kind of for me when I whenever I go there, I still get the kind of because there's such history to it. Yeah. Like with AT and T Stadium when we went for WrestleMania, it's like it's a cool stadium. It's a fucking massive stadium, but it's not. Old Trafford is not where like the team I watched no, it's what, as, a, um, as a wee nipper I think James Dean Bradfield described uh, those kind of stadiums as like ginormodomes or something yeah know. yeah pretty much yeah yeah um, but no like obviously to go there as a stadium that I've been watching for about 20 years on, on football uh, on TV and um, seeing like seeing through the camera but you know obviously not getting a sheer kind of appreciation for the stadium mm. itself and like i've even been to wembley uh, and then i've been to a couple of smaller grounds like craven cottage loftus road um but yeah to be to like you know one of the kind of holy grounds of english football if you will yeah, yeah. It, it was nice to see it and it was nice to go through you know the actual kind of tunnels of of the stadium itself and see the change that's one of my one of my favorite parts of the tour and it, it never fails to get a bit of the, the hair raising on the arms and this will make like to the people who don't care about football, you think we are such tossers that like that that this has any sort of effect. But like, the moment where they they line you up in the tunnel, really kind of theatrically, and yeah. they play the sound of the crowd, and you walk out onto the like not onto the pitch, but onto beside the pitch, that's a pretty cool moment. Yes, you know I, I, mean? I have that feeling. So. Getting there because like I've um, like I've done that a bunch of times, and uh, like when you're there on match day, like during a match, it is something else. Like hearing the seventy odd thousand people like going crazy, and I think as well, um, like most people that aren't interested in football, and people that are are interested in football, uh, they tend to have the, uh, they keep it pretty simple in their views that a bunch of overpaid tossers kicking the ball around, and for the most part, they're not really wrong. But hearing um, your, your man talking about, you know, what they do for the local community, and most football clubs, as far as I'm aware, do a lot of kind of work for local communities and charities. The one that hit you was the, yeah, the, the, like, the, the sizable like, area they have for disabled fans, and that, like, if we make it to a cup final or anything yeah. like that, they tend to bring them. Like, it was 150 wheelchair-using fans were brought free of charge to the Champions League final 2008 in Moscow, yeah. which was pretty cool. Um, so like you know overall just it's always you always don't take into account the kind of behind the scenes stuff um, yeah. and you know and it's fair play as well because um, 
when you don't really think about the behind the scenes stuff, it's usually because they're not really broadcasting it. Because yeah. like you, it, do, you, doesn't you have to find a balancing act. Because you get some companies that are like, oh, look at all the great charity work we're doing, and you're like, well, clearly you're doing it just to say, look yeah. how great we are. But still, they're doing it. But they're still yeah, they are doing yeah. it, obviously. Um, we also went to see a wrestling show. We did go to see the Graps. My first progress show. Oh, yeah, progress course, wrestling, yeah. popular uh, independent wrestling promotion. Now to stop this becoming Wrestlecast. Very brief thoughts on progress. Did you have a good time? It was it was an okay show. Like yeah. I've been to some really good progress shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, so not in Grading the top curve, like. five, but like uh, we survived the the tag match. Yeah, um, I, I was saying that my uh, my my de facto brother in law uh, he sent me a text last night. He goes, "How is progress?" Because yeah. he's a fan of progress. I said, well, uh, Rose Flying Corpse nearly took us all out. <laughs> but, um, that was great. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see that back on uh, back on, on demand when that goes up to see if you know we appear anywhere. Um, uh, yeah, during that one spot, there's a fair chance that because uh, yeah. we very nearly, uh, a lot of chairs got taken out. Yeah, uh, which is, you know, setting us up nicely for about 45 hours worth of wrestling and mixed martial arts God, to watch this weekend. It's wrestle week, isn't it? Certainly is. There is, uh, for those of you who don't care who participate we got um so what is it we got nxt saturday night as well as ufc 202 the conor mcgregor jose aldo fight and what a garbage fire the hype for that fight yeah. has been this week well you know people getting bottled and the likes which i don't think we've actually talked about off the air and then uh summer slam aka the summer fest yeah as jeremy piven would call it and on there's night. actually also i think um, and bear in mind we've already had six hours this week cause yes we had, actually no seven so we had three hours Monday, two hours Tuesday, two hours last night. Uh-huh. It's, uh, like, it's and a I, lot. There's also a Ring of Honor show, and I'm presuming there might be a Volvo, I'm not too sure. Oh, that's the the Jay Lethal Adam Cole match, isn't it? Yes. Oh, God, it's a big weekend. Anyway, let's let's talk about what the people are here for. Let's talk about video games. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. I got sucked back into Stardew Valley. Oh, the sickness is back. <sighs> well, we thought you were in Stardew Remission. No, so I was playing it on the uh, Windows partition of my bootcamp on my MacBook, and it was a bit of a pain because I don't really use the Windows side of my MacBook for much these days because pretty much everything I need is on, on my MacBook side now. Uh, but then they announced that um, they were porting it over to to, to Mac, uh, to yeah, on, on Steam. Um, on top of like they've, there's the home console versions coming out as well I know the, the Wii U version is one I'm particularly looking forward to mm. uh, so yeah it's there it works exactly the same as Windows I can hook in my PS4 controller and it works perfectly fine uh, it's we're going to have a real interesting time come the end of the year podcast because uh, there's I can already tell what's going to happen right it's going to be I know Stardew Valley won't win, and I'm fine with that, but it's going to be in the top three because I know Doom's already going to win, and I'm fine with Doom winning. Well, put it this way, like, Doom is going to be a strong shout for Game of the Year, uh, unless we have a very, very strong last few months. Oh, well, yeah. And, like, there are a couple of bits coming out in the last few months that could uh, give it a run, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's strong so far. But the, the thing is, Stardew Valley, it just it taps into my veins in that particular way where it just it ticks all my little kind of niches and quirks. I like Were you a games. Harvest Moon guy? No, this is the thing. I never. Because, like, that's when I look at it, it's like it's Harvest Moon. That's I, that, what it looks like to me. I never touched Harvest Moon and I never touched Animal Crossing. Yeah. And the thing that I remember hearing about the last Animal Crossing game on the 3DS is that. 
there was loads to do, but you could only do a particular amount in any given day. Like you'd kind of go on, tick all the boxes you need to do, or whatever. Yeah. Collect your fruit. That's not Happy Home Designer. It's uh, New Leaf, isn't it? You're talking about? Uh, whatever the last one that I remember. Well, Happy Home Designer is technically the last one, but that's just oh, an interior be, design game in then. the Animal Crossing. Yeah, it'd be New yeah. Leaf then. But with Stardew Valley, I could turn that on first thing in the morning, and I'll be playing till last thing at night because. You know, you have your daily routines, but you are not held to any, uh, like, kind of, there's only so much you can do in one day. No, you just go for as long as you want. Yeah. And it's nice because I already know everything from last time. So uh, straight out of the gate, I was like, right, let's get my farm set up. Let's get all this wood I need. Let's get my weapons upgraded. Let's go to the cave. There's a hundred levels of the cave that you need to uh, go through. I'm already up to, like, level or down to level 80 on that. Um... I, it took me about half a year to find all the residents of the town. I found all of those within the first couple of weeks. Um, and like a month in that game takes, um, I think it's it's a couple of hours. Um, and then, yeah, because like a day is about eight minutes, I think. I, I remember I read up the time in it somewhere. And there's just, just so much to do. And it's, I know we I was talking to you, like, games piss me off where they say... Um, or when people say, oh, this game gets really good after about 10 hours. And it's not this game gets really good after about 10 hours, but you really start to see the potential of what you can do after about 10 hours, because you have to, kind of like Minecraft, really, you know, where you have those first few hours where you're figuring out the mechanics, you're upgrading your tools. I wouldn't even, for Minecraft, I wouldn't even say it's a few hours. I'd say within about an hour, you know what's up there. Like, unless you're... Like unless you're real dumb and can't figure out how to get well, iron more, quickly. Okay, but more in terms of getting like all the resources you need. If you like, you know, you have your massive skull fortress or whatever. <laughs> well, that was a couple of days. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, it takes a good couple of hours, mainly just to get stuff upgraded to get you in position to it's called go. Castle Dave's skull, by the way. Castle Dave's skull. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Um, and. So I've put in I put in about eighty five hours on my Windows playthrough. I've put in about five hours already. Um, it's probably going to be half of that. But I got up until the point where um, so in Stardew Valley you're given the uh, ability to uh, propose to one of the local bachelors or bachelorettes mm-hmm. and get married and have a child and that sort of stuff. And I was busy going around courting everyone, not because I'm yeah, uh, <laughs> the town bike you are. Well, everyone's had a go. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I wanted to see what the interactions were because all of the NPCs in in the um, the town um, have their own stories. You know, yeah. like the game really comes alive because you are interacting with these people on a, on a kind of daily basis. And so each of the characters, you know, have their own quirks and personalities and traits. They have certain things that they like that you can give as gifts. They have things they don't like. And so I was just curious to kind of see like all of the little um, scenarios that the, the game presents to you and all the little cutscenes. Um, and that's what, yeah, that's why I've been busy doing that. So I got up to the point where pretty much all of the girls in the town, I was in a position where I could propose to one of them. Um, but then I'm not sure if, I, I think I don't know if it was Doom or something came along and I got distracted by that and I never went back to it. I think it might have been Doom. Could have been. Um, so it went from Pokemon to Stardew to to doom no pokemon to mario maker to mario maker yeah so my plan is i want to definitely get up to the point again where i can actually marry one of the the girls and kind of see what happens from there in terms of like updates for the game nothing seems too different from when i last played it um i i haven't looked at the patch notes too much um i know that they're adding other characters but i haven't seen any of them so i don't know if 
that's still to come along, whether that'll be in the, the console releases. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 so good, and uh, it's it's worrying how quickly you can get sucked into it and lose about six hours um, mm. without even thinking about it. Speaking of games, you can uh, lose several hours to. Uh, I'm still playing No Man's Sky. Yeah, so it's been a week now. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot said about the game, which isn't too surprising. Hashtag hot takes, you yeah. know. How are we feeling after a week? I still like this game an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I have a couple of things that I would prefer to be different about it, but I, that can be said of a lot of games. Yeah. And it's a couple of things that when they are sorted out, and I do fully believe based on like what is being said about the patches that are going to be slowly rolling out, that these minor quibbles I have are the things that are going to be solved. Um, I'm fine with that. I'm having a whale of a time while I'm waiting around for them you know it's not like I feel like my progress is impeded by not having these things I just feel my experience will be improved somewhat like the the one big bugbear I still have is custom waypoints I want because um, it doesn't so much I figured out a way around it with pretty much everything else but the one real exception still is crashed ships so sometimes if you uh, scan for a transmission you can find these beacons and it will ask you do you want to try and look for a transmission a shelter an outpost or a monolith you go over transmission it could be a beacon it could be a sentient life form or it could be a crashed ship so you go to a crashed ship it's an alien and a crashed ship and you can take that ship if you want and repair it and then you have this new ship mm. the problem with that is right so you go the crash ship obviously needs some substantial repairs done to it that's the, that's the rub you're not just getting a free ship that's in bang perfect order the problem is once you go to that the waypoint is gone once you arrive at the ship. So if you go to leave the area, like if you go to fly up to a space station and buy the things in the space station you need to repair the ship, you won't be able to find your way back. Now, if you're on the planet and you're just going to walk around and find the elements, there's a way around that because if you just leave your ship beside it, there's an automatic waypoint always to get you back to your ship. But to find your way to the new ship, not so much. Um then you run the risk of like if you just buy the new ship so that you don't lose it what if you don't have all the resources on the planet you're on to repair it then you're stranded but that that's kind of like the, the custom waypoint thing once that comes in and I, I reckon it will I don't think it'd be too difficult to like just add a button to go right set a waypoint here so I can get back here later the game is very adept at having a lot of waypoints going on all at once so I can't see why that would be a big issue mm. Um, apart from that like there there are small issues with like I, I keep talking to you about like the texture popping or it's more like I'd call it texture fading because it doesn't really kind of like a and pop in it's more like it kind of fades into view um, that kind of like I, I'd prefer if that wasn't in there but at the same time I understand that with the amount of space that this game is trying to generate in front of me that that is going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, And it doesn't really bother me. It doesn't affect my playthrough of the game. It's just a visual thing that maybe might be. A question for you I have. So how many planets have you visited at this point? Uh, between my playthrough that I stopped and then restarted on this one, I would say about two dozen. Okay. One of the kind of common complaints I'm hearing about this game, and it's one of the things I was worrying might be an issue going in is because this game the way it's been created because it's this massively procedurally generated galaxy Mm -hmm. universe is that you know 
every planet has to have a certain set amount of things. No, and, it doesn't. Well, what I mean by that is it has to it has to play a balancing act. You know, so you go to a planet and there's going to be however many X amount of uh, animals. Nope. No? Nope. Well, this there is what are, I've been hearing. Nope. There are planets that have no animals. There are planets that have no resources. There are planets that uh, have no day-night cycle. There are planets that have no water. There are planets that have no land. It's completely, like, that's completely randomised. Like, I have gone to a planet. The time I got stranded was because I got stranded on a planet where I found a ship, but there was legitimately no natural resources on the entire planet. Mm-hmm. And I could not repair my ship. Uh, I have been on, very recently, the star system I'm st- I'm not stuck in, but the star system I'm playing around in at the moment. Uh, I've, I've been naming things. Like, I try to go by naming conventions that help me figure out what order I discover them in so that I can then, once I've discovered them all, go back and try it. There's animals on them. You get a substantial units bonus if you can find all the animals on them, right? So I, I think there's one I'm working on at the moment, the planet Atlas, because Atlas A so that's the first one obviously mm-hmm. um, if I discover all the things on that I get 225,000 units and I'm one short on that but uh, the second planet I discovered in that system which I discovered on the stream that's going up this Friday the Friday of plays I named it the planet Brony because mm-hmm. Keith Brony was watching with us and Brony B boom yeah. right um, that planet had legitimately and it will as soon as you land and get off because in some respects you can't really blame the game because it does tell you as soon as you get off the ship for the first time on the planet it will tell you a little box pops up on the yeah, left hand side that, yeah. that tells you uh, what kind of how the sentinels are are there a lot of sentinels are there feck all sentinels are there a lot of animals very few animals or none uh, and same for plants like I have landed on planets that have nothing mm-hmm. uh, like I landed and I said this is an arid atmosphere nothing grows here so I think it was like a couple of rocks I could break open for iron and that was it on an entire planet. That was my first playthrough. On the planet Brony, there are some natural resources, but literally no animals whatsoever. Like you'll see if I press options to go into like my little discoveries thing, you'll see that there's literally no animals listed there to discover. So that like that's utterly randomized. Okay. The other uh, complaint, and this has been... Sterling has been the kind of main proponent of this thing, and actually Gersman as well, is that once you've done about three or four planets, you've kind of seen what the game has to offer. And really at that point, and you know, you've been saying that really the game is what you want to get out of it. Yeah. But it really feels like, from what they're saying, is that once you've done a couple of planets, you've seen what this game has to do you, basically and you, really at this point we're just waiting for the updates for them to add more content. Um, you see the basics of what's going on uh, like every so often I'm discovering something new like manufacturing facilities were something I didn't discover for a good four hours in the game Yeah. so that was another thing uh, I still haven't discovered uh, an anomaly in space where I can get those atlas passes which unlocks a bunch of rooms in all the different space stations and everything so I still haven't gotten to that Um. There's still a few things, but what what you can do, what I totally understand from what uh, Jeff and um, Jim are saying, is that you can, you definitely get a feel for what the game is within the first four to six hours. Like, you kind of know that it's going to be variations on a theme. Now, there are wild variations on the theme. Like I said, you could find a planet that's lush with everything, a, a planet that's absolutely barren. Uh, and different challenges throughout like um the the further you go towards the center of the galaxy the more hostile things get so the harder it's going to be to get resources or animals on a planet because the sentinels like are much more uh up in your face and gonna shoot the shit out of you and 
um, different things like that. But like it's fair and it's unfair in as much as like I said and like you said there as you were leading up to that question that the game is what you make of it. So if you're looking for the game to tell you what to do, I imagine that within the first four or six hours, maybe you'll maybe you'll get start to get tired of it. And I think that's kind of what I get off both of those guys when they reviewed it was that they wanted more in it. But when it's a game where, like, I could make a beeline for the center of the galaxy, but I have no interest in doing that at the moment. Like, I want to get a cool upgraded ship. I want to fly around. I want to try and um, explore some planets, have a look around. It's a nice, relaxing game. I imagine as the weeks go on, like, once we get towards maybe a month of me playing this game, once it gets towards when Bioshock and FIFA start coming out and we start getting to the busy time of year, I imagine I'm going to play the game less. And it'll be kind of like a thing with GTA where I'll pick it back up for a good few hours every time an update comes in. That's true. But uh, to me, that's always what I thought the game was going to be. It's going to end up being like Minecraft is for me, where I'll pick that up every now and then, give myself a project, plow more hours into it. That's what I wanted the game to be originally. And it goes back to my original review of the game, which I don't think I'm ever going to change on. And that is the idea that, like I said, this game is what you want from it. If you are someone who can go in and say, I want to be the greatest uh, explore in space and go around and chart all these discoveries and stuff like that that's great give yourself a project of doing that you're going to have a fucking whale of a time if you're going to say right I'm going to be a, a space miner and I'm going to go in and I'm going to um, mine loads of resources and trade them and become wealthy you can do that if you want to go and the one path I haven't really explored that much if you want to be a space pirate and shoot anything out of the sky that moves and there's a lot of the deeper I go into the galaxy, the more there are like space freighters and things that you can shoot to try and destroy. Um, if you want to go do that and like rob people a lot and, you know, be kind of more aggressive like that, you can. If you want to be a great kind of space ambassador, go around trying to learn languages as much as possible to get in friendly with the different aliens so you can make better deals and stuff like that, you can do that too. Mm. And that's kind of what I want from the game is that I want to go, right, what am I going to do today? Right, uh, today is the day where I'm going to go try find a couple of species of animals, get myself some bonuses, move on, you know? The one other, and I think this is a pretty valid criticism out of everything I've seen so far, is that... Uh... This is, by the way, I, I don't mean to say, come off like an apologist for the game at all. No, 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 no. But it is kind of like, because... And I do talk about the video games uh, as art sort of thing. Like, it, it is kind of down to everybody. Like, you may pick up this game eventually and decide within an hour or two that it's not for you. And that's fine. But that doesn't invalidate what I'm saying. And me saying that I really like this game an awful lot doesn't invalidate what you're saying either. No, the thing is, the people that have been making... It's perspective. What I feel is pretty valid criticisms have been coming in mm. from an angle where they were just hoping for more really i think that's yeah the kind but of i think like but there, there's yeah. been different ways that people have been approaching saying that they're disappointed that they wish there yeah. was more and i think one of the really valid things um and there's the uh very enjoyable meme video going around at the moment yeah. is there's the uh, like the, the original e3 video and you land on this planet and you're walking around and there are these, these dinosaurs and yeah. it looks incredible and you're like, oh my God. And yeah. then, you know, there's the comparison video yeah. where there's this nightmare now, fuel dinosaur yeah. now, which has been I clearly won't... made from a different bunch Yeah, of yeah. Pieces. I won't for a second defend that obviously the expectation versus reality, yeah. that, that thing, that's pretty that's where on. most of the hot But at the same time, from. my contention for that is point to me a single trailer at E3 for a single video game that has turned out exactly the way it looked in an E3 trailer. And... <laughs> no, it wasn't. That was, that was completely different. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. no. Yeah, that's what I know. That yeah, I, yeah. What I mean is like that it. the E3 trailer was the same as the finished product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find me that game yeah. and I, sir, will reward you richly. Yeah. That's the thing. Do you know what I mean? And it's just because, 
And it's a thing that I'm getting really, really sick of, and not just in video games and pop culture. It's a thing where people are waiting to take things down when they come out. Mm. And it's fine, look, if you don't like something, don't like it and move on. If you like something, like it and move on. I'm not going to come on here and bash people who don't like No Man's Sky. I'm like, look, you don't like it, it's not for you. I've said that, you, you'll remember from day one, I've said this game is not going to be for everyone. Yeah. This game may not be for you. Watch my playthroughs or watch anybody else's playthroughs. Decide if the game is for you before you can buy it. I'm not going to put on that this is a nailed on, I recommend everybody should buy this game. I'm saying for the, the very particular people who will be into it, they should be into it. But what I'm saying is, like, between the three ones this year that, like, have really just gotten to me in terms of, like, them not being for everybody, but in past years people would have moved on. No Man's Sky. Uh, and then in movies... Ghostbusters, everything that happened with that fucking fiasco, and the same with Suicide Squad as well. It's like, it, it's the the idea, and I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but they keep bringing it up when people are talking about these things and about why the internet and everything like is just so negative about everything. It's this idea that was someone said it at the DNC a couple of weeks ago is that society has become culturally addicted to outrage. They can't just have a game come out and be fine. You can't just have a movie come out and be fine. People have to get extreme one end or the other and neither are right. You know what I mean? Neither are right because it is an art form. You know, like, think about the amount of games we liked back in the day on N64 or SNES or PS1 or PS2 or PS3 even that were just all right. Do you know what I mean? Like, let me think. Um, Glover on N64 is not a legendary platformer. No. But I like Glover a lot. I, the the big thing that Jet I, Force Gemini, you know, but they, but do you know what I mean? Like it's before people be like, okay, I like that game, or okay, I don't like that game. Let's just move on. That's what kind of bugs me about this. I think I'm I'm absolutely fine with people hating the game. I'm absolutely fine with fine with people loving the game. But the idea that no everybody, how can you not see that this is bullshit, or how can you not see that this is transcendent art? The, the, the biggest outrage the that, that bother me. The the, well, the biggest outrage that um I seem to be seeing is. Uh, people banging on about all the liars that were in this game. They said Don't, this was here. That was if that. you in, in, look. On, just, sorry, on, but just, in on. 2016, if anyone trusts a video game trailer, they're an idiot. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, and the idea that uh, and uh, I still think that people are now to this idea that No Man's Sky is an indie game because it was made by about 12 people. Is it fuck? Uh, I, uh, I know right. <laughs> And so, like, this is an indie game, this should have been $60, blah, blah, blah. First of all, if you're banging on that you paid $60 for a game and you don't have the money to be spending that, this game has been, like, being made for three years now. I think you can put a pound away, I think you can put, like, about 10 pence away every fucking week for the last three years. I will immediately slap that down. Uh, slap down people who have that criticism that you just brought up. The Order 1885 I was immediately going to say the Order. Was 65 euro. Yeah. This game is a fiver cheaper. Uh Uh-huh. And... If you can look me dead in the eye and say the order was a better game, you are full of shit. Yeah. And you want to talk about expectation versus reality as I well. Know, I know, right? That looked like it was the reinvention of gaming. Yeah. A couple of those trailers for that game. But that's the, that's the thing that I keep going on about. Like, don't ever, like, what trailers are for? And this is what everybody should take away from this. And I'm moving on after this point because I, I don't want to, this to be No Man's Skycast. But video game trailers, all they're for is getting a feel of the world that's being put in front of you like just getting the feeling and in that respect the No Man's Sky trailers I have that feeling in the universe that I thought I would have it captures the essence of the universe if not photograph like if not frame by frame obviously like 
we said the explanation versus reality things are different but it still feels like there's an atmosphere that the trailers have that is in that game mm. that's the same like the order for all the fucking uh bluster to come out over that it still did have that creepy victorian atmosphere and like that game could have been a much better game bioshock infinite right so that like, like we mentioned so that trailer the original trailer was so wildly different in terms of gameplay and in terms of even the characters the that are in the stuff. trailer yeah, yeah right? completely different so but even like the the main antagonist in it was appeared to be somebody else in the original trailers mm-hmm. and not comstock but um that captured columbia very well we got the feeling for that city yeah, yeah. that's what trailers are really for they this is like you can't be that naive anymore because otherwise video game developers are just going to take every penny you have you just got to be more wily about it because lord knows they're not going to be less pernicious about it not defending them for a second i'm no, just saying I... people need to <laughs> exercise uh wisdom where possible uh, there's there's this self-righteous... I'd never, I'd never excuse the behaviour of developers trying to sell you on a false bill of goods at all, but at the same time, it happens so consistently with pretty much every single game that comes out. There's this level of self-righteousness that seems to have come awash over uh, not even a majority of the video gaming public, because it still is the minority. It's just they're the yeah. ones that are shouting the loudest, so it seems like it's the mm. majority. Um... Yeah, you know, I, I don't yeah, because as well, you got the thing like it, with the self righteousness where it's like, oh, it's an indie studio. How can this game be sixty dollars? And the same people going, how is this not the greatest game that was ever made? Uh, how did this like? You can't have both. <laughs> you know, it's just ah, it's ridiculous. It, it just annoys me. Like I'm again just finishing up. I'm fine with people who like the game. Fine with people who don't like the game. I'm down on the side of I really like this game a lot. I've been playing it for a long, long time. I think. <sighs> Um, and that is fine yeah for me the game is exactly what I thought it was going to be for me in yeah. that but I'm, again, I'm... Like, we watch this stuff closely enough that I, do, I it would be hard to trick us yeah but no what I mean for me is like I knew I wasn't going to want to touch it for at least four to six months because it Until felt this like fire it was down. well a that but I, I was coming from the kind of destiny uh, approach of and I never played destiny but I knew I never wanted to touch destiny from the get-go just like yeah. that. this is a long-term project and you have to look at certain games now as a long-term project well yeah this whole moving into the uh, the era of games as a service yeah you know what I mean and certain games yes no whatever and like there's the whole argument about what should be in the game from the get-go and that's a whole yeah. argument but for another the, day but all yeah. I'm saying is I don't want to touch this game for about four to six months because I know by the time I get to this game there's going to be a whole lot of other stuff that I want to be able to get into from the get-go and not have to kind of keep retreading over myself. That, I think, is a problem with the game. Um, I feel that, like, there maybe have been a certain amount of pressure from Sony to get this fucking thing out there. I can imagine that... You don't want it to become the last Guardian again. No, I certainly feel that Sean and the others could probably have been like, look we have all this stuff that we still want to put in okay we're just going to have to wait until we're in a place maybe get the cash influx in um i mean there was this whole talk about that they finally hired some qa testers i mean that's like something you should have from the get-go again it's a small team um you know there's this whole idea i feel that they've just wanted to put the thing out there just to see what the game is like in the hands of other people mm. kind of get a feel for it then go from there and it is the kind of game it, it's such a different game from so much certainly from on, on a grander scale because there are smaller indie titles that do things like this but on a grander scale with so many more people playing it like no one could know exactly how this game is going to behave under the hands of everyone else until they yeah. put it out there see what happens and then go right we can tweak this we can do this we can do that 
and there's no perfect way around that problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are not taking that for granted, as you know, among other things. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. I've also been playing, uh, well, I meant to talk about this last week, but it was so No Man's Sky heavy last week. I've been playing a bit of Telltale's uh, Batman. Uh, how We did a stream. How is that holding up? Well, I've beaten the first uh, episode of it. Okay. Um, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty good. The engine, uh, I can report that the Telltale engine on consoles is much better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have heard that uh, PC is not so good. No, it's a bit uh, of fire. God, PC is not having a good uh, year for games involving Batman. No. Uh, but on console, I had no performance issues whatsoever. I had no hitching. I had no texture pops. I had no failed QTEs. Uh, that was happening a lot on Vita versions of like even The Walking Dead, which is one of their most stably performing games. I would have situations where I couldn't hit the button in a QTE and I would die. That's I'd a problem. I'd have to reboot the system. That's a bit of a problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it, it's good. I think it's an interesting, if I were to tell you what Batman it leans closest to, it would be animated series Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's painting an interesting portrayal of you trying to decide for yourself who your Bruce Wayne is and who your Batman is. It offers you, you were watching even in the early stages, it offers you options to be very subtle and very nice and very magnanimous as Bruce Wayne and also offers you to be like a fuck you sociopathic rich guy. Um, is and it, then is it with Batman, like any stories in particular? Um, it's borrowing from here and there. Like it's okay. an amalgam of a bunch of different things. So it may or may not, we don't know just yet because the whole thing hasn't played out. But when you have pre-Two-Face Harvey Dent and something, you are predisposed to thinking that it's a Two-Face origin story, at least in part. So it might be, it might not be, because it's kind of loosely, so far, themed around uh, Harvey Dent's campaign for mayor. Okay. Um, there's a couple of old faces. Catwoman's in there. The Penguin's in there. Um, no Joker, uh, as yet, anyway. That might be something they pull out for season two. I don't know. I mean, um, I, it's, they have it, the great thing. Yeah, that's the, that's the great thing is that Batman has such a great rogues gallery that uh, yeah. they'll never want in that game. But yeah, it's really good. I think the dialogue. Uh, Brian kind of was a bit down on the dialogue uh, in the first couple of parts of the first episode. Finally, the dialogue is kind of spot on, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I think it's really really good, and I think it's interesting as well. Um, you're able to control your relationship with Alfred, which is something I don't think gets explored enough in really anything. Like, in The Dark Knight Rises, I suppose, there's a little kind of um, bit with, you know, Alfred and worrying about Bruce and stuff like that. But I don't think enough of the comics or the cartoons or anything like that really explore, because that's a very important... That's probably the most important relationship Bruce Wayne has with a living person in the I comic books. I've never thought that before. Yeah. yeah. And they do explore it a lot where you can be very dismissive and shut Alfred out, or you can kind of, like, you know, be nice to him and you know plot with him you know and listen to his <laughs> advice there's a great meme um I, I i always ask you and i keep forgetting have you watched archer no no okay um well i have started to in the last couple of nights try to but i keep falling asleep okay. i have it on my tablet when i go to bed um but archer himself he's like a little bit of a playoff of james bond and there's actually a little bit of uh, bruce wayne in there um but they still align from uh, Archer and use it over the scene where you're in the Batcave and I'll let you go and kind of see it for yourself but it's very funny and actually from like a little bit of what I was seeing from when you was playing it um, th- there's actually a little bit of Archer in the, the kind of dialogue they give the, you. The animation as well is reminiscent. Very he good. does kind of look like Sterling Archer. Yeah. yeah I'll give you that. 
Um, right, so that's kind of what we're playing this week. That's it. I have, I have just one other thing. Um, talking about No Man's Sky there and the expectations for what people wanted. For what I think a lot of people want from No Man's Sky, they should probably go and play a game called Star Nomad 2, which um, was released, I think, late last year on PC, and it's out on iOS and Android now. Uh, and I've been playing it for um, at Pocket Tactics, you can, where I, I, I sometimes do some reviews. And it it's it really is this whole kind of galaxy come alive. Like, there's this whole um, economy that can rise and can collapse, uh, depending on what's going on, there are uh, pirates that go along and, and steal. Uh, you can really, you know, pick to be whether you want to be uh, someone who wants to just blow shit up. You can be uh, someone who kind of imports goods to different planets. Um, these systems, they have some planets which are rich in uh, resources and minerals. Other planets uh, have exotic foods. <clears throat> and, you know, vice versa, are looking for the other... Um, so you can kind of buy stuff cheap here, sell it here for you know higher prices and make your own money that way. Um, it's yeah, it's really surprising. It's very very dense, um, more so than I was expecting. Uh, and like I think that a lot of people should probably look to that for what they I think they want from No Man's Sky. And I think actually No Man's Sky themselves could probably take some ideas for creating this what feels like a really kind of living, breathing galaxy where there's actions and reactions going on. Um, yeah, I was very surprised by it. Uh, I, I think it's something that you really kind of have to go and look in for yourself to see if it's something that you'd want to play, but I was very surprised by it. And uh, yeah, it's. I think it's something that people should check out. Shall we take a dip into the news? Let's do that. News this week. News on the mark! Oh boy, we're taking a quick detour, Mark. Straight from the news bumper into Konami Corner. Fuck Konami. Oh, they just can't leave well enough alone, Mark. I'll tell you, this boiled my piss in a big bad way. Can we Can we just lay, up, lay the cards on the table Get here? Get into fuck Konami position here. This is a game that was created and they went, well, this is nothing really. Oh, I know. What's that brand that we have that we're not doing anything with at the moment? So, for those of you who don't know, yesterday, that's Wednesday uh, of this week, uh, a trailer just dropped out of thin fucking air. So, Gamescom is happening at the moment. Yeah, as yeah. You can, yeah. For... Metal Gear Survive with a capital V in the middle, <laughs> right? Uh, it's a it's a four person co op survival game set after the events of Ground Zeroes, but before the events of Phantom Pain. So in that eight year gap where Big Boss is in a coma, mm -hmm. using all new characters who are just some of the uh, military sans frontier, um, and it involves like nightmare alien creatures. Uh, the explanation for why they're involved is something a well a wormhole opens up. Yeah. Um, oh my god, what a mountain of bullshit. <laughs> oh, it, and it looks dreadful. It looks so... Have you seen the trailer? Do you, do you want to know how happy I am this exists? I, it's just, uh, I'm so happy. But like, the thing is, right, so being realistic, we knew this was coming. We knew that they could not not keep, like... The conveyor belt of yeah. Metal Gear going. But there's a difference between <clears throat> doing uh, another Metal Gear game that 
takes a story in whatever direction, or even if they went and did something like where they outsourced it to Platinum and went, look, do what you do and we get revengeance, which I think is a load of shit, by the way. But at least it was... It has its fans. It has it has a charm. I'll give it that. No yeah, it has, a, it has a term that it is just... It is. It makes no apologies for how mental it is. Yes, and I'll give it that. But this is clearly, as I just said, like, here's a game we have. We don't know what it is. We don't know what to do with it. Slap Metal Gear on it and it will sell some units. It's yeah. so startlingly that um that i mean i don't i don't care either way i've made it quite known that metal gear means nothing to me but i could certainly see why the yeah. piss babies might get yeah. angry at this yeah. and i will let them be validated for yeah, look, the piss to be thrown look everybody should uh take stock of the fact that no matter what they do to the franchise and they will do stuff to the franchise they still can't take away the five core metal gear games no, the, like the no. the kind of the portable ops and things like that that people enjoy um but at the same at the same time it's like maybe wait a while until the kojima thing has fully blown over or all i'll say is this if this is their response to what kojima presented with death stranding eh, not so good yeah do you know like i after uh after i watched that trailer i didn't find myself humming the music for days nor watching it over and over again like I did with Death Stranding. I'll just I'll give you the official blurb for Metal Gear Survive. Please do. In a struggle to stay alive on this harsh harsh terrain filled with deadly creatures, soldiers who were previously a mother mother base now must work cooperatively cooperatively in order to survive. That is it. That's all there is there. There's nothing more. Um, it looks. This is not say and also Metal Gear. Also Metal Gear. Uh, <laughs> the trailer has uh, just a uh, kind of dirge of brown and greys yeah. and just kind of... Which is incredible because like as serious and uh, uh, as violent as Metal Gear Solid 5 is at times, it's very colourful. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Yeah. It doesn't look good at all. Shocker. Uh, Mark, Tekken 7's getting sexy. No. No. So... <laughs> n- no. No. What, what the issue is here... Um, so... I mean, fighting games in general, it's not just Tekken. You can look at, you know, certainly can look at your Dead or Alive's and certainly can look at your Soul Calibers. Um, and even Street Fighter Five had this issue as well. Uh, female characters are usually uh, unevenly proportioned, shall we say. <laughs> Top and, heavy. Uh, yeah, and are dressed in such a manner. Or barely dressed in such a or manner. Or barely dressed in such a manner. And so there's been criticism from this, and, and a lot of this is the you know there are differences in the cultures between what comes out in japan and what we think about in the west whatever again that's that's all for for another day um but (laughs) so basically um what's his name where are we uh kachihiro harada the chief producer and director and known mentalist and known mentalist he's kind of been putting out a couple of tweets and he's been trying to defend the uh fashion choices that are there the sartorial garb yeah and one of his defense defenses he came out with for uh, Tekken 7 and what some of the ladies are wearing is saying well but but the pandas and the bears and the robots they all have bikinis as well and it doesn't that's that doesn't doesn't change the fact that's like saying look i'm not racist but hey look um this is going to go on forever. You know, I, I follow a couple of different um, Twitter accounts that do this whole kind of censored gaming thing and not understanding what the meaning of censor, censoring something is. Just because you change something here from what is over there, that is not censoring. That is just um, 
either changing the product to suit the needs of the culture of wherever you are, or it's just because, look, that lady doesn't need to basically have all of her arse on show. Mm. You can kind of cover it. You can be a little bit more respectable. It's not censoring. Uh, and this is going to go on forever. Um, but where are we? So... Uh, what is it? I guess one of the things that's most frustrating, frustrating, I cannot speak today, is just that a lot of these criticisms are very ill-informed. The problem is that people who are Tekken fans, they say something about the game that's critical, and it's not that bad because they know the content of it. Uh, a lot of times the swimsuits were a good example. People who don't even play the game, they maybe just hear that there are swimsuits in it, and they say, well, you have these girls in sexy swimwear. What's wrong with you? You're such a male chauvinist, etc., etc. And, like, the, the best example is... Uh, people were banging on about, um, I can't remember what her name is, it's the female wrestler in Street Fighter Five, And um, in the original version, uh, basically she has like a winning taunt where she slaps her ass and the camera's right up there and she has this outfit where most of it's on show. Um, I, for the, I don't know if they took it out, they patched it, where it was the Western version, but they basically um, kind of covered it and also like the camera is above the waistline basically. Mm. And people fucking lost their minds about it. It's like, oh, this is censoring. It changes the game. Well, they did the same with Tracer and her butt pose in Overwatch. Oh, did they do that as well? They, well, they like that it was aggressively butt posey and everyone went crazy. And then they changed it to a less suggestive butt pose. And also people went crazy. Yeah. Because <laughs> one, there was the camp that was going, well, she's still it's still kind of a butt-centric pose. Yeah. And then other people just going, how dare you censor? And here's the key thing, right? How does this change the game? Yeah. It's a fucking fighting game. Should we get an ice cream, by the way? Oh, <laughs> there's a there's a uh, there's a an ice cream van in the town that that we live in that its route is through like the only three dodgy estates in town. Oh, You've never seen an ice cream van move quicker uh, or the match of the day music being played quicker. It's gone, gone. But there are people that legitimately say this changes the game. It's not. It's in. It's not what uh, the creators originally intended for. It's not their true vision. And I'm like, fuck off. It's a fucking fighting game. Their artistic vision is purely stacked up upon the bikinis. And get rid of the bikinis. You've really lost the the the, the kind of the nuance of and, their art. You know. I mean, I'm I'm screaming into the abyss because nothing about this will change. Um, so, whatever. Before you go to the next one, because I don't think you have this written down, I quickly typed this in before we started the show. Uh, this come up from Kotaku. Uh, EA executives cast doubt on the future of video game press conferences. Well, uh, I will shed no tears if EA finished doing video game press conferences because their, their E3 show on this year was shocking. <laughs> <laughs> in an interview with Eurogamer uh, following EA's Gamescom livestream, which had no announcements but lots of meandering chat and gameplay, EA executive right. Peter Moore summed up At the least situation it was gameplay this time. Uh, from a pub publisher's perspective. So, I'm not too sure that press conferences have a future. Let me make a radical statement. What you see here, gestures to the EA booth around, which is full, is a combination of our key customers, digital, retail, probably 40% influencers. Our EA lounge here used to look like an IKEA showroom, but like EA Play, it's indicative of how we see the future. The medium yeah. is changing. Influencers, celebrities who aren't the classic journalists, are finding their own way. Our job is to put the games in their hands like we did last night. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't want to labour the point too much because we've still got a lot to get through here, but uh, I, I've always had, the, well, at least for the last few years, I think the way E3 and the likes are going is that there's still going to be a massive show floor of people getting their hands on with their games and people who have YouTube channels getting to do a let's play that they can put up on their channel once yeah. the once there's a kind of uh, 
at a certain time when they're all allowed to do it. Um, but I think in terms of like the quote unquote press conference, I think within a couple of years, it's going to more closely resemble everyone's going to do something like Nintendo's press conference where it's a digital event. It's amazing how everyone thinks Nintendo are out of touch and yet they're clearly going to be... Yeah, the, well, when Nintendo started doing it, they're like, what the fuck are they doing? But like, they obviously saw where the puck was going, yeah. you know? Um, Which, and obviously, uh, when we were saying about this for E3, like how does that affect E3? But I think it affects E3 minimally in as much as it's still going to be a massive place for people to go and play stuff. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like filling out the halls, um, the only thing that I'm going to be sad that's missing from that is like hearing the reaction in in the crowd for an announcement. Yeah, I'm not going to miss the garbage fire that is um, stuff Ubi like or EA. Uh, who was the fucking um, who's the footballer guy in the new FIFA? Alex Hunter? Alex Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not going to miss that or the hoop god or the hoop god. The hoop god. Yeah, or those uh, awkward guys <clears throat> in the jumpsuits from Ubi that were trying to hype everybody up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Right. Moving on. Uh, we got some Suicide Squad content coming to Injustice Two. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to Injustice Two. Did you play the first? Uh, yes, I really like Injustice. Yes, yeah, so because not... you see, what it is is I like fighting games that have some sort of substantive story mode because mm-hmm. I don't really play multiplayer games that much. Injustice has a really cool Earth Two storyline. Yeah. Well, I like basically like. They took the concept, Neverrealm took the concept of Mortal Kombat and the reboot of Mortal Kombat, attached it to Injustice, and I really like the new Mortal Kombat games. I like the fighting system, yeah. and I liked how they approached the single player single player campaign. Um, you know, you kind of drift in and out of fight uh, matches or uh, fights mm. with the story. I like what they do with that, and I thought Injustice did that really well. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm and I'm, also a lot of fan service in that as well. Yes, and so I'm definitely on board uh, with Injustice too. But they've they've added uh, Deadshot and uh, a very Suicide Squad-y interpretation of Harley Quinn mm-hmm. uh, to the roster. So that's pretty cool. I I'm I for one um like I like I like Harley Quinn in the comics and stuff like that, and she was she was grand in the movie. But I've always been a big fan of Deadshot. I think he's very underrated uh, member of Batman's Rogues Gallery. I have to say, uh, just like uh, the idea of the, the hitman that can never miss. It's pretty cool. Who the fuck is Blue Beetle and Gorilla Grodd? We don't have enough time. <laughs> that's like that's really reaching to the to the outer fringes of the DC fair. If I can tell him, me. is Booster Gold in it as well? By any chance? I didn't see that. Uh, okay, uh, so that's that. Yeah, two more characters from Justice Two. That roster is building up quite nicely. It's a big one. Um, there's a new Humble Bundle that has uh, uh, some pretty cool games in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nuclear Throne, Galaxy, and Octodad are the headliners in that uh, Humble Bundle. I have played two of those, Galaxy and Octodad. Yeah, I really I have such a soft spot in my heart for Octodad. It's, I it's the it. goddamn best. Uh, it was one of my favourite games in like the launch window for PS4. Yeah. So good. I, like, I, I really should go back and play that again. I yeah. really like it a lot. No, I, I like that as well. Uh, just like it's, it's just so funny and it's just so aware of what it is uh, it's great Galaxy is pretty good as well um, yeah actually Super Time Force is in there which is a game that I am a fan of as well uh, this is available to Ultra the... or just Super Time Force Dumb. because it's Super Time Force and Super Time Force Ultra isn't it? just Super Time Force okay. um, yeah it's available and to these, the these ones are the, the pay what you want it's well you have like a couple of games are and then if you go up in price it has to you pay get too. more from the bundle yeah so it's what is it offer more than the average which is currently $5.26 about £4.3 and you'll say receive Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time Oxidad and Super Time Force oh so it is Super Time Force Ultra uh, pay upwards over $10 and you'll also get Nuclear Throne as well which is uh, a pretty good price because I've, I've only briefly looked at Nuclear Throne um, a friend of mine uh, I was watching him play and like Barry the, the Barry lad uh, played it for quite a while on his YouTube channel and check to be out fair, the Barry lad and to be fair it's Vlambeer so yeah 
seal of approval straight away. Uh, next item on the agenda here. I don't want to talk about this game anymore because it's been talked about quite a bit. But No Man's Sky 1.04 patch went live today, Thursday. Uh, basically, all it's doing for now, the full patch notes aren't out as of recording. But uh, from Sean Murray's Twitter, it appears that all it's really doing is addressing there's a, like a small percentage of people on PS4 uh and pc who are experiencing like real bad performance bugs so mm. it's fixing that and making things more stable in that respect uh, in terms of actual mechanics and stuff like that we fired it up for a few minutes beforehand haven't noticed anything changing he did say it's like the big patch that they're preparing which is presumably 1.05 that's going to sort that out but they wanted to rush out a performance patch yeah. and then be, which is fair enough you know you want to make sure that people who are having real bad performance issues that they get addressed first rather than the people who are going on board yeah. and then there's also the uh, experimental patch for pc yeah which has been kind of they've been working on that all week people are people are they seem fine with it the, uh, those who have opted into it. Yeah, I mean, I've been having a look at uh, some of the things here. So apparently there's just improved performance. Um, Which was seemed to be the major problem that was on PC. Yeah, and this is the thing, and, and I don't think people are taking this into account. It's easy enough to create a game which is for a console, you know, because everyone has pretty much the same. You know exactly the limitations exactly. that people are going to have in the house. Uh, when it comes PC, to PC, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough. a fucking, it's the wild just, west. Just ask Rocksteady. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we. Uh, news that broke just today, I don't know if you saw it yet, Mark. Um, it looks like Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood and Revelations are all coming in one pack to PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, okay. Which is, like, those are the ones people sure. really love. Yeah. The, the, it's right. Ezio, isn't it? It's the Ezio trilogy. Assassin, well, look, okay. Yeah, yes, I know you're sure. Yeah, you're Assassin's sure Creed Law, sure. Right, so Assassin's Creed 2 is the one that everybody says, right, if you're going to play one, play Assassin's Creed 2. So I, I'm pretty cool with that. And those two are, the uh, Brotherhood and Revelations are like smaller games that came out that are within that same canon. So this is before the series really jumped the shark. So uh, there's going to be a lot of people excited by that news. Um, and if it comes out at a reasonable price point, I might be convinced to get it in a sale at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this, Mark, and I deliberately didn't put this in the version of the show notes that you can see. So Call of Duty unveiled its zombie mode for the year. I think it's Zombies in Wonderland or something it's called, where it's like a, an, a, an 80s neon uh, zombie survival mode. Right. And it stars Pee Wee Herman and David Hasselhoff. I was not aware of this. Yeah, those are your, uh, two of your main characters in the zombie survival <laughs> mode. So check out that. Uh, the trailer looks 80s as hell. Um, uh, I'm desperately trying to picture, but apparently from... Um, who are they? Bulba Garden, which is a one-spot-stop hotspot for all of your Pokemon news. Apparently there's a landmine Pokemon. Amazing. Will it be as good as the Haunted Sandcastle? Time will only tell. Uh, Axiom Verge one of my favourite games of last year is coming to Wii U in less than two weeks that's That's cool that's a pretty cool console to have that on Um, Wii U's getting all of these kind of random like ports why should they it'd be great if they had gotten them when those games came out originally and not years like Minecraft like within the last couple of months is now on Wii U and the thing is as well it's it's also as random because it's not like there's, there's been this upsurge of Wii U sales I got I gotta hope that Nintendo are planning so that like digital purchases follow over onto NX because that would then be NX will have a killer library <laughs> yeah, from day one yeah, then yeah. probably won't that would be awesome probably won't almost certainly won't uh, Nintendo are not exactly it. very good when it comes to backwards compatibility no, uh, PS4 firmware update 4.0 is coming within the next several weeks unspecific uh, from Sony they're in the middle of doing a closed beta on at the moment the big thing that's being added, there are little things, the new quick menu, 
Uh, so the quick menu now, when you hold down the PS button on your controller, won't cut to the full screen blue menu. It'll be a snap black menu on the side that not only has additional options for what you can do with your party chat and invite to parties just from that quick menu, but also will allow you to customize what appears in that menu. So if you don't want everything, you want to trim the menu down, make it more simple, or add stuff in, you can do that. So that's pretty cool. That's It's kind of like um, when you boot up the Wii U, you have... Uh, like the quick menu. Quick yeah, menu. yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's pretty much what, it, uh, what it'll be like. That's one of the um, good things about the Wii U, I, I like that. Yeah, that is pretty good. Um, the other thing that the PS4 update adds that I've really been waiting for since day one is folders because uh with, i don't have enough content to justify well, the thing is with, like, with, with two like you're thinking about right this is the console is three years old this november well, yeah for other people so obviously. i've had two ps4 games a month for three years yeah like so if i didn't even buy any other games i've still got a rake of ps plus games because even if i'm not interested in them i click buy i, I don't always download them but i click add to library because like, oh, you never know and you know what i mean i'm not gonna look at gift horse in the mail i'm already paying for ps plus i might as well and sometimes you get awesome stuff like um oh names escaping me Fu uh, rocket league rocket league <laughs> yeah but no the please don't attack me the game you, you thought yesterday was gonna be in my top 10 it came in the launch window Oh, Resogun. Resogun. Yeah, thank God. I Jesus. was going to say Fury. but How did Resogun go out of my head? Yeah, Fury's in there as well. Apotheon I really like. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good... There's a lot of Drek in there. It's... NBA 2K16 is in there. We got that last month, which has yeah. a terrible story mode, but it's still one of the NBA 2K games. I do feel that um, over the last year or so, or certainly since I've been back in the country... The quality has dipped. The quality has dipped somewhat. And fierce. the quality of the Xbox ones has gone up. Yes. Because they're also adding two backwards compatible games a month as well. Which is kind of yeah. where they're getting the advantage here. It's pretty yeah. good. Um, I do feel that uh, maybe Sony... I, I, I don't know what, what the deal is because certainly like before I left, they were a little bit more free-willing about putting kind of bigger games. Like I remember I had like DMC Devil May Cry and that kind of mm. stuff. The PS3 is still getting good games. Yeah, but they've really gone indie heavy. And, I mean, there's a lot of good indie games that are yeah, getting out there. To me, I would want, like, maybe, yeah, some months do two indie games. But maybe some months do one indie game and one game that's so old you can't be making money off it anymore. Like, how in three years Killzone Shadowfall hasn't been a PS Plus game? That came out at launch. It's really good. And now it retails for less than a tenner most months on the store. Yeah. Throw it out as a free game. Now, I'm not saying that I want Knack by any means but but even knack would be something because that was in theory a full price game at one point do you know what i mean you had that in you yeah that was well like they had sold the gamestop my girlfriend pre-ordered my console and were sold out of the other bundles so you blame your girlfriend well no well yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i got like i ended up buying Killzone and fifa separate from that oh, box yeah. because i was like well i might as well get a game in the box yeah um, I'm um, not as angry about it as some other people in because fairness, that's usually the way it is most people like me pre-order the console so far in advance we had no idea how good or bad Mac was going to be mm. do you know it could have been our Spyro uh, or oh, it could have been Rise yeah um, also speaking of Xbox there a couple of seconds ago uh, Aaron Greenberg one of the uh, the chief executives over at Xbox has said today there's a hot take coming fresh out of Gamescom that the Xbox Scorpio marks the end of console development for Microsoft. That they think this is the last console generation. I think we came down, uh, not to labour the point too much, because I don't want to get into the console iteration talk two weeks in a row. But uh, I think we kind of collectively came down on the side of, uh, yeah, we'll believe it when we see it, mate. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I feel that Microsoft don't really know what they're doing at the moment. But the reason I can see why is because they've got this whole... 
Windows 10 across all platforms uh, kind of shtick going on and you know you pick a game and you can play it across all platforms and blah 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 I can see them trying to get it all under one roof and I can see one way of kind of sort now is just yeah having I mean it makes sense if you've got the Xbox One and it's just the Xbox One um, and that goes on for however long they want with how many iterations until they say right that's it no more I can see them having this being that kind of final point, but yeah, it's I, I'll believe it when I see it because people yeah. after the start of the last generation were saying that was going to be the last yeah, generation, exactly. and here we are. And if you think there isn't some sort of small team in Microsoft somewhere that are still working on the Xbox Two or whatever it would be called, that you're an idiot. Like you know, business businesses like this, they're always looking at the next. Thing. I believe it'll be a contingency work. Contingency. I, I think it'll be the Xbox Plus, uh, the Xbox One Plus One, the Xbox Blue, <laughs> the Xbox Plus One, the Xbox Seven Twenty. <laughs> um, and in final news, it wouldn't be a week on the podcast without us talking about some Poke news. Ah. Uh, something we haven't really talked about on the the podcast. A uh, very successful nine years in the making, I believe it was. A fan Pokemon game went up online a couple of weeks ago called Pokemon Uranium. One hundred and fifty new Pokemon, a whole new region. Um, a whole new type nuclear type um, and it has had in the couple of weeks it's been up over 1.5 million downloads as of earlier this week and uh, it was around then finally that Nintendo got pissed and banned it yeah they had the same thing there was a uh, someone made a, a remake um, of the I think it was the Game Boy Metroid 2 um, they basically yeah, yeah, they really made it look that. like uh, Zero Mission the Game Boy Advance version and the same thing again Nintendo went no nah, no nah, you, you, you're grand which I find amazing not so much with Pokemon that they took that down because <clears throat> you know they're, they're doing pretty well there but because like no because one really they they're not really bothered making a proper Metroid game. No, it's like, well, just let fucking... Like, you see what Sega are doing with Sonic by letting someone else do it who can do it better. Just let someone take a 2D Metroid game and do that. You've got your fucking Prime Federation Force thing here that no one cares about. Yeah, look, they let Fast Racing Neo come out on Wii U, which is basically as close as we're probably ever going to get to an F-Zero game again. Uh, this is one of the areas where I really don't understand Nintendo. They're very, very closed off when it comes to this kind of thing. And certainly as well, because like... This is your community here who are doing these kind of passion projects. Fucking let them do it. Yeah, do like uh, Valve have a really good, like, there's several kind of uh, modded versions of like Half Life 2 that are considered, or Half Life 1 even, that are considered like. They, they've given the stamp of approval to Oh, yeah. Like uh, well, I mean, when it comes to the... the I'm not piece. saying for a second they should let the people who are making Pokemon Uranium make loads of money off it or anything like that, but just fucking leave them be. Well, no, but I don't think they are making any money off of it. No, they weren't. No. But, like, I'm not saying that they should let if Pokemon Uranium was like, well, Nintendo aren't coming after us, we should start charging. Yeah, at that point, obviously. Yeah. But freeware... Exactly. And it's like, do you really think anyone who plays this... Do you, do you feel in any way this is going to affect your sales of Sun and Moon? Because uh, I doubt it. Yeah. I've still got my pre-orders in. And it's well, like... Uh, I think we will be doing probably... Uh, over the weekend, if we get a chance, maybe we'll do a quick playthrough. I have... Before it got uh, blocked, I got the official download of... Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to, to have a look at it. Yeah, it'd be nice to get the Pokemates out to have a look at that. Um, yeah, we should definitely do that. Uh, but... I was going to say something else about it there. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you're uh, anyway internet savvy at all, uh, you can still find I'm copies. sure it's still. It's on the internet. Yeah. You can't really get rid of it. <laughs> Let's just say you might find it somewhere pirates could sail into uh. <laughs> uh, still and download it quite quickly. It's a small enough file. Um, yeah, but that concludes the news for this week, unless you've got AOB there, Mark. Uh, nothing else, no. Okay, well, I think in that case, 
we should probably move on to the book club for this week. That's a big one. It's one that's been on my personal list since we started this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, the book club is Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2 is a survival horror video game published by Konami <laughs> for the PlayStation 2 and developed by Team Silent, a production group within Konami, Computer Entertainment Tokyo. The game was released in September 2001 as the second installment in the Silent Hill series. An extended version of the game was published for the Xbox in December of the same year, containing a short bonus scenario and some modern minor additions. It was later ported to Microsoft Windows operating system in 2002. A remastered high-def version that's absolute bullshit of the game was released for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in 2012 as part of the Silent Hill HD collection. That last bit wasn't in the Wikipedia. It wasn't. It, was just, it just is bullshit. That's my editorialising there. Uh, while set in the series' eponymous fictional American town, Silent Hill 2 is not a direct sequel to the first Silent Hill game. Instead, it centres on James Sunderland, who enters the town after receiving a letter written by his deceased wife saying that she is waiting for, them, for him in their special place in Silent Hill. Joined by Maria, who strongly resembles her, he searches for her and discovers the truth about her death. Additional material in re-releases and ports included Born From A Wish, a sub-scenario which focuses on Maria before she and James met. Silent Hill 2 uses a third-person view in gameplay that places a greater emphasis on finding items and solving riddles than combat. Psychological aspects such as the gradual disappearance of Mary's letter were added to the game. More humanoid than their counterparts in the preceding game, some of the monsters were designed as a reflection of James's subconscious. Reference to real-world history, films, games, and literary work can also be found in the game. Silent Hill 2 received critical acclaim from critics. Within the month of release... Uh, sorry, that... <laughs> Fuck off. Fuck off. Sorry, just pop-ups on my tablet. <laughs> Within the month of release in North America, Japan and Europe, over 1 million copies were sold, with the greatest sales in North America. English-language critics praised the atmosphere, graphics, story, and monster designs of Silent Hill 2, but criticised the controls as difficult to use, although much improved than its predecessor. Since its release, the game has appeared on several critics' top lists for its story and use of metaphor, psychological horror, and taboo topics, as well as its soundtrack and sound design. It is considered by many critics, including myself, as the greatest horror game of all time. Silent Hill 2, Mark, is, if not my favourite game of all time, it is, it's in the top 10. It's easily in the top 10, more than likely in the top 5. Uh, like I said there, I think it's the greatest horror game ever made. A lot of people have a really soft spot for uh, for Resident Evil, the, the first two Resident Evil games which are, again, masterpieces of the genre, apart from the dodgy voice acting. Um, Resident Evil 4, as well, is a great horror game. I think uh, one of my favourite horror games as well, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem, which I think is going to be a book club at some stage. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to talk about an underrated classic. But to me, nothing, nothing in this world uh, comes close to Silent Hill. Uh, let me tell you a little thing about Silent Hill 2. So I bought a PS... or I got a PS2 for Christmas... Um, the Christmas after it came out and I kind of I was only playing I wasn't the uh, 
the most diverse in my taste of games when I was that when I was that age when the PS2 came out. So it would have been like eleven or twelve. And I was really only for a long time playing like God, it would have been like the this first SmackDown game that came out on, on PS2, was it just bring it maybe? Yeah. So Nest, I was playing that. I was pretty much playing that all the time. That's all I had for it. And then I was in um Extra Vision when I was staying with my my granny and I saw this game with this like chilling box art on it and it just really kind of resonated with me just kind of like something stuck in my head that even when I went home I was just thinking about this game and I was like wow that's pretty weird um and I ended up picking up and it was the second game I ever bought on my PS2 and to this day I think nothing ever close because like if you like we've talked we've we've joked a bit before about um you being a girly man when it comes to horror sometimes Oh, very sexist. <laughs> um, but you know that, like, I, I have always been kind of desensitized to horror in as much as it never really affects me. I enjoy it. I can feel the atmosphere of that, but I'm never like I never shut down and get really scared by stuff like that. But the, the the one exception is Silent Hill because there has never been a game or really any form of meat I've had that's actually legitimately gotten inside my head like Silent Hill did back in the day. It doesn't so much anymore because I can kind of sit back and. Um, I, I'm more mature about it now and, and and such and kind of enough time has passed and I've played through it enough times now that it doesn't quite um, it doesn't keep me awake at night like it did but it still definitely has a considerable effect on me Um, I'd, no game before or since I think has really nailed atmosphere and psychology like this game has Um, in terms of like the themes it explores in terms of the world it creates and um just what it does to you as you play it um it is an absolute masterpiece and um it really when we put it in perspective like earlier on the show we talked about like the stuff konami are doing now and it really shows like how far that that's great name konami has fallen into the muck that like at one point we had last week we talked about castlevania symphony of the night it's castlevania silent hill metal gear solid konami like this was konami this was pez. like pez um contra mm-hmm. and they own bomberman as well um so like it, it, it kind of goes to show that like i think silent hill three and four are fantastic i think three particularly I think 4 is a really, really interesting twist on what the game series have been doing up to that point. I think Silent Hill 1 is very... Like, it's fine. It's, it's It has its place. It has its place. It's definitely not what I like about the series a lot because, you know, when it leans too heavily on the cult They're thing. Like... The cult thing is cool. The cult thing is cool. It's not what I want from Silent Hill. Uh, I remember uh, Yahtzee, Zero Punctuation. I remember him doing a retroactive review of Silent Hill 2. And what he hits on in that review is totally what I can get on board with is that Silent Hill 2 cracked the code because it figured out that the real scary enemy wasn't any of the monsters you faced it was the town yeah the town is the most important character in Silent Hill 2 uh, talk to me about your kind of your history with Silent Hill 2 your impressions we played it for a few hours this yeah. week I mean I haven't played it for a very very long time but I do have a morbid when it comes to horror I, I have a, a curiosity with it like I don't enjoy watching it or partaking in it, but I enjoy the psychology around it, and I'm really mm. interested in Japanese horror because they obviously do things very differently. Yeah. Um, and we we're talking there at the start, like some people think Resident Evil, Resident Evil is the best horror game. They're doing two totally different things. Yeah. You know, one is on your typical kind of zombies, uh, 
Romero style type of kind of horror uh, film. Silent One Hill. is like Dawn of the Dead, basically. Yeah, and Silent Hill is very much that psychological type of horror, which yeah. Japan, Korea, that sort of side of the world does yeah. very well. And for me, and certainly going back and playing it the other day, Silent Hill 2 is one of those games that when the big argument about our game's art comes to pass, Silent Hill 2 is one of those games you hold up. And it's actually, a lot of it is to do because of his drawbacks, because I think mechanically it's kind of shit in places. Yeah. Well, but it, one of works, the, one of, it works to the game's yeah, one of the charm. things. One of the things we talked about uh, when we were playing it is that the first two Silent Hill games, because um, the things that are up close in the game, like James's character model and stuff like that, for the time are incredibly well rendered. And because the console is busy rendering him, the things immediately around him, the drawback is you can't have a big draw distance, so there's a lot of fog. And this is one of the reasons the PS3 port is bullshit, is because the fog that you have to put up because you can't render too far in the distance in those first two Silent Hill games, it really adds to that atmosphere. Well, I think more than that, in terms of, again, the actual mechanics there, like um, at attacking the attacking enemies is, yeah. is sluggish and takes forever, but it adds to the tension because adds, yeah, because you feel, like in games like say Bioshock, right? Yeah. So Bioshock is a game where like particularly early on, like it's very there's a lot of horror elements to Bioshock that are fantastic in the early goings before you get too familiar with Rapture, yeah. like when it's the fear of the unknown, the spicer in the dark at the very start and stuff like that. But at no point in Bioshock do you really feel like you're moving too slow to be able to defend yourself. Like, it's always quick and it's always zippy and things like that. It's a first-person shooter, you know. Yeah, it's, like, it's Silent design. Hill 2, it feels lumbering in a way that you are never confident you're going to get out of a, a tussle. Yeah, it's... And, like, obviously it can be frustrating at times when the controls aren't doing what you necessarily want them to do as quick as you want them to do it. And to be fair, like, Silent Hill and Resident Evil, like the early ones, they both have that same thing, those awkward tank controls. And they... Yeah, and the static cameras as well. And this sometimes... is why there is the, uh, the, the, the kind of comparison between the two, and why you usually get the two mentioned in the same breath, because they do similar things in that regards there. And um, it is what adds to the tension of those two games, is because... And even more so in Silent Hill, because James Sunderland is not a member of a fucking SWAT army or whatever, he's just this normal guy looking for his dead wife. Yeah. You know, it adds that little bit more of tension and atmosphere. And because the cameras are awkward, and a lot of the time you can't see what's coming towards you, and all you have is the growls that you hear around you, and that static noise, which is one of the fucking greatest things ever impl implemented into a video game ever... It just, there is no other word than, words than atmosphere and tension. And Silent Hill 2 does that so much better. And, you know, obviously Silent Hill did it first, but Silent Hill is like Aerosmith in that. They're, they're not can't, great. Some things you can't take back. They're, they're not great, but, you know, they have their place in history, you yeah. know. Aerosmith, they have their place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You yeah. can't take that away from them. Yeah. And dude looks like an, a lady. I was about to say, dude looks like an elevator, which is a whole... <laughs> Hold another song there. <laughs> I'd love to hear that song. <laughs> Silent Hill does have a place. And actually, I was watching some footage of it, and I think even in some ways, that it had even more tension to it because of that fucking grainy PS1 style of kind of visual representation. Yeah. That actually has a whole lot more going for it. But Silent Hill 2, with the fog, which is, and as you said, the town being the enemy, and with these humanoid figures, which all have... Um, their meanings behind them and it's symbolism 
Yeah, that you, the... you did some you did some reading into this because it wasn't something you were particularly au fait with beforehand. It's it's what, symbolism. What, what did you discover and what what were your what did you take away from your your bit of research? Well, the the thing I take away from it is, um, in a lot of games today, uh, like the Telltale games, for example, you have a very binary choice of do this, do that. Something happens if you do this. Something happens if you do that. Um, think even a little bit further back, like Fable, for example, where you, you're pretty much, you're a good person, you're a bad person. Bioshock. Bioshock as well, even better. Saber Harvest. Yeah. It's very binary. It's this or that, very black and white. Hmm. But with Silent Hill 2, and I, you know, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a game that's done it as well since. It's not like that. You know, the game is constantly watching you and every choice that you make and every little thing that you do, how many times do you look at the picture of Mary... Um, how much attention do you pay to Maria, this, that, and the other. And it all takes you through to the end of the game where you're given one of several options. And so the game becomes really like a psychological test on yourself to mm. see kind of who you are and how you play the game. And I never really had the appreciation for that before as I do now. And so on top of that is, you know, the, the story of the game and everything behind it and every meaning that there is and the symbolism behind it what pyramid represents uh, pyramid head represents uh what maria represents yeah. uh, i can read you a little bit here there's a there's a little bit here i found uh, about the analysis of the some of the various yeah, yeah sure. the silent hill series uses symbolism and psychology the town of silent hill draws upon the psyche of its visitors ultimately creating what is kind of referred to in the lore as the other world a twisting of reality that manifests delusions and elements from their subconscious minds, varying from character to character. Specifically in the case of Silent Hill 2's primary player character, James Sutherland, the version of the town he explores is influenced by him. Many of the monsters that roam the town symbolise his guilt, wish for punishment or sexual repression during his wife's three-year-long illness and cease to exist after James comes to terms with the fact spoiler, 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 that James killed his wife, Mary, partially to end her suffering and partially out of resentment and frustration. Uh, he has a particular line, James, and during the... I don't know if you've ever got... Have you gotten to the end game in Silent Hill? Yeah. You watch? Yeah, so yeah. You, you see, he has the line about Pyramid Head, whereas I was weak, that's why I needed you, needed someone to punish me for my sins. Yeah. So he is kind of like, as you play through the game, Pyramid Head stalks you and is always... You always get the feeling of dread that he is near and just around the next corner. And it is because he is there as kind of a watchful representation of James's guilt. Um, it's incredible. But the thing is as well... And as well, as one of the things like a lot of real Hardcore Silent Hill fans uh, call bullshit in the various other things Pyramid Head has shown up in. Yeah. Because Pyramid Head is very specifically a representation of James Sunderland's guilt. So but if James Sunderland isn't there, there's no reason for Pyramid Head to be there. This is the I'm thing. looking at you, Sean Bean movie. This, this is the thing as well. Um... After which, in isolation, by the way, yeah, not, really, not, not a terrible it's not movie. Terrible, it's not terrible. Um, after Silent Hill Four, they really, they really, <laughs> they really went off a goddamn cliff. They lose track of what the point of Silent Hill is, and the problem is, is the town becomes a gimmick more than anything else, where they can just have these stories set, but it's they fall into the trap of having horror for the sake of having horror in a more kind of Western conventional sense. Mm. And certainly the films fall into that trap. Certainly the fucking second one, Jesus Christ, but the first one as well. And they've never, they've never managed to get back to the, the core. They nearly did. <laughs> well, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Need I mention PT again? Yeah, but 
I mean, I guess we'll never know, but even still, like, PT on its own as a horror game is, is fucking incredible. But the, that... thing, the thing about that that always gave me hope, like, I had, obviously we have no idea how that would have turned out, but the thing that always gave me hope of that was that it was the first time since Silent Hill 4 that I felt the atmosphere. Yeah, but even still, that was playing off of the kind of conventions of what we see today now in horror games, where you have that kind of VR, up close and personal, still shock horror type sort of things. More where, visceral than psychological. Yeah, where the original couple of Silent Hill games, it's very much psychological, not visceral. Still, you still have your jump scares every now and again. Yeah, you know? well, they got you they good fucking with one, got me, you little bastards. One of the lying figures under a car. To be fair, I am not a fair barometer when it comes to jump scares. <laughs> right. I wasn't even watching you and I jump scared because you nearly jumped off the couch. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's that game that you definitely hold up when you say, look, and actually, to be fair, you mentioned um, uh, Jesus, the GameCube game you just mentioned there. Uh, Eternal Darkness. Eternal Darkness. That is a game very much like Silent Hill 2, where it definitely does the psychological thing. You well, know? it has the sanity meter. It has the sanity meter, yeah. I, still... I cannot believe other games don't do. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel there are games that have come along since, but there there's a subtle nuance to the way that Silent Hill 2 does it, where it just feels like other games just feel a little bit more kind of forced in how they try to do it mm. as I said it's whenever anyone says our games are you throw Silent Hill 2 straight into the mix you know uh, as a story uh, and what it does what it represents the symbolism behind it there are very few games that have uh, come close to treading that level of what Silent Hill 2 does uh, before I do my quick elevator pitch and we finish up, uh, tell me a little bit about something that I noticed uh, affecting you throughout our little playthrough. Talk to me about the music. The oh, soundtrack. Man. It is the soundtrack of Dread. Yeah. It is, uh, like, to me, it's a very minimalist score to it. Like, it's not overly operatic. It's not hitting you in the face all the time. But, like, you'll just be walking around. There's an extended period where you're walking between the graveyard and the town every so often there will be just like a pluck on a cello yeah the thing or is something and you're just and it just gets you the the piece of music that i remember the most from silent hill was in the original uh yeah which is like this really nice kind of film noir s piece of music but it doesn't have the i don't know the kind of tones of horror and tension behind it it's just a really nice piece of music but where in silent hill 2 it it kind of takes actually um, the uh, Legend of Zelda route where in the uh, temples where you just have this kind of uh, presence of sound in the background, but it's not really a piece of yeah. music. It's just ambient noise. Yeah. You know? Oh, man. It's so fucking twisted. It's just, just like there's there's dread, there is foreboding. Yeah. Like, I've never played a game that between the, the visual with the fog and everything and the soundtrack working in tandem with that and the foley art and everything that's going on in there it feels so claustrophobic it feels like the world is closing in on you it feels like any moment now the ground is just going to open up and swallow you and you know what based on how horrified you are you'd be fine with yeah, that happening it's it's a lot like have you ever listened to any uh philip uh sorry philip glass music uh, he's this kind of very famous uh, ambient sort of s soundtrack sort of, sort of composer and it falls into that kind of category where it's the kind of thing where you can just kind of close your eyes and immediately the the soundscape that is created it gives you a picture gives you an idea of where you are mm. and there is no better kind of sonic representation of what Silent Hill is than what that game does you know as a soundtrack uh, it's, oh, it's so good 
uh, elevator pitch just to finish things off. That's uh, on you. It's going to be the the easiest elevator pitch of all time. <laughs> Silent Hill Two is the greatest horror game ever made, and I would contend one of the greatest video games ever made. Uh, if you like horror games and you haven't played it, you have no excuse. Play it now. You can get the shite version on PS3. Uh, although it would be almost as expensive at this point to go like dig out an old PS2 and pick up a copy secondhand, or even try and get an emulated version. Um, Is it just, on Steam? Uh, no, it, it was on Microsoft. Okay. Like, it was available for Microsoft platforms. I don't know about so much anymore. It's definitely not on Steam because I tried to find it for this originally and oh, right, right. uh, just to see what that was like. Um, yeah, just play it. God damn, it's one of my favorite games of all time, and it won't be shifting from that list anytime soon uh one last bit of business before i do the wrap-up mark you've got to pick a game for next week yeah sure the book club. uh i'm actually i'm gonna kind of cheat a little bit i'm gonna give us a trilogy of games because i feel really you might as well just throw the three of them together right uh, there it's a nice little kind of condensed package i'm gonna lighten the mood a little bit i'm gonna take us back to the early 90s and uh sega at the time were like what the fuck, you know, what Nintendo's got going on over here? Mm-hmm. They've got some bastard fucking plumber. He's raking in all the money. We need something. Echo the dolphin. Yeah, yeah, dolphin. <laughs> maybe a llama. I don't know, maybe a pelican. No, a fucking hedgehog. A hedgehog in red sneakers. And he's blue. Never heard of him, mate. Never heard of him. I want to go back and I want to have a look at the original trilogy. You know, fuck Star Wars. All right. Fuck, um, what's that number? Kind of famous trilogy. I'm Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Indiana Jones. Whatever. Godfather, yeah. I know the third one's shit. Sonic the Hedgehog. The original. Number two and number three. Kind of timely as well, because, you know, they've had the announcement Sonic Mania, and then there's another 3D one, which will probably be terrible as well. Before the abomination that was all the 3D games, there is the original trilogy. And there's a reason that there are those mentalists today that still claim that Sonic is the greatest thing ever. It's not. Spoiler alert. It's pretty good. But it's pretty good. And those first three, they're still pretty fucking good. Even if Gersman doesn't like number We're three. We're going to have some soundtrack talk next week. We'll as have well, some, yeah, like in Michael Jackson, you know. <laughs> if Michael Jackson's in your game making music, just saying. <laughs> so next week, yeah, we will have a look at Sonic 1, 2, and 3, slash 3 and Knuckles, which in itself, I still to this day don't understand that Sonic 3 cartridge. We'll get a flow jerk going. What is going on there? Uh, right, so that's another episode of Link to the Cast in the Books. I'm going to do the wrap-up here. We have a weekly schedule that we like to try and stick to. Uh, thanks to Twitch last night, our Wednesday show didn't go up, but uh, we're, we're working on that right now. It should be up fairly soon, uh, as should this podcast on Thursday. But anyway, uh, run you through Monday to Friday what we got going on. Uh, on Monday, we've got Mark's solo stream that we call Mark on Mondays. Mark, what are you playing for next week? Uh, I'm still going through Undertale. How's that moment. working out? So I'm enjoying it. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, it's a very kind of quirky take on the JRPG genre, and I'm liking that it's it's kind of rewiring my brain in the kind of conventions of what should be happening, and I'm liking it. Good times. On Tuesday, we release one of the old book clubs uh, features uh, on our YouTube channel in isolation, uh, kind of just if you want to go back and listen to what we thought of a particular game uh you can have a look at that we also do an article on the website mark you're up for an article next tuesday this this tuesday we just put up my top 10 games of this generation in mm-hmm. no particular order mm-hmm. uh, have you got anything in particular cooking for next week are you going to leave it yeah, as a surprise I'm just, just talking a little bit about the the legacy of the wii u you know 
Um, just a little bit about that. That'd be an interesting one to check out. Coming Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday is when we do Link to the Cast Plays. That's our long-form series where we play through a game from start to finish. Uh, we just started on this Wednesday. Again, the video will be coming out today. Apologies about that. We did export it from Twitch, but Twitch decided that we didn't actually want it. So that was great that Twitch decided that for us. But we are playing Beyond Two Souls, which is already fucking mental. One hour in. Played with a live studio audience this week, of all things. Uh, Thursday is the day that this podcast drops, Link to the Cast, so you can always get a weekly dose of myself and Mark, and sometimes Brian when he's not in work, um, on the show on a Thursday. Friday is Friday Plays, that's my solo stream. I am on part two of my No Man's Sky playthrough at the moment. Uh, my captain's log on there, uh, so you can check in with me, see what I'm doing, how that universe changes the closer you get to the center of the galaxy or the more things you uncover and explore and upgrade so check that out we'll be doing that for the next few weeks anyway uh, pretty much four weeks today is when bioshock the collection comes out and that's probably what i'll move on to next unless something really really tickles my fancy in between now and then but uh keep an eye out for part two of uh friday plays no man's sky uh so that'll be tomorrow if you're listening to this today the podcast drops we also do um these shows we record them uh through steam uh, through twitch even so we record them through twitch uh you'll get a notification if you follow us on twitter you will see a tweet from us when we go live if you want to join us in the chat uh at link to the cast is where you can find us on twitter but i'll mention that again towards the end uh other streams we do we do the pokemates sometimes where we play through a pokemon game we're probably gonna have a look at pokemon uranium this weekend to try and kick us back off uh, getting into the regular habit of playing some Pokemon games. We've really let that one slide over the last while. We also do a series that we like to call Shitmen, where we play the new episode of Hitman. Uh, Bangkok just dropped this week, episode 4 of Hitman. we got to go back and try and beat Marrakesh first so that we can actually play Bangkok. So uh, look for a couple of new episodes of Shitmen coming soon. We also do quick plays when a new game drops and we want to get our hot takes on it as quickly as possible and we don't want to wait for our solo days. That's when you're going to get a quick play in there. But that's enough about our schedule. How can you contact us if you want to let us know what we're doing or if you just want to follow us on our different platforms and keep up to date? Facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on Twitter is where you want to go to get the most frequent notifications about all the stuff that's going up. Uh, individually, Mark is at Lithium Project on Twitter. I am at Dave Ryan IV and Brian, who is on the show uh, sometimes, is at Cargin, C A R G I N 4107. Uh, twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast link to the cast.tumblr.com youtube just search link to the cast we are now officially the top search result for link to the cast on youtube take that Anne robinson because the weakest link had been the top search result for us for months <laughs> on youtube uh, wordpress link to the cast.wordpress.com up there we put show notes uh, and our article goes up and at the end of every week, starting this Sunday, we'll be doing a content wrap-up to see what you've missed uh, during the week, Monday to Sunday. Apologies, that didn't go up on Sunday. We were kind of in Manchester at the time. Uh, email, linktothecast at gmail.com. Drop us a line there. iTunes, search for a link to the cast. Rate, comment, and subscribe, please. We do like when we appear in the new and noteworthy. And the more you like, comment, and subscribe, the more often that will happen, and the happier we will be. And Mark links how popular the podcast is to a sense of self-worth, so please help him out. <laughs> Uh, also soundcloud.com forward slash link dash two dash the dash cast uh, or you can just search link to the cast on there and you're going to find this where the top search result for link to the cast on there as well uh, but that is another episode in the books mark episode 32 I believe it is so uh, good work there um, I have been your host Dave Ryan the man on the couch beside me has been Mark Robinson that I have been I think it's time to fly off into space I might have a pizza ooh
Saucy Mayor. Can we do both? Yes. See you all next week. Bye.